I'm Aaron. This is Paul. And this is Tim. Now, it is a well-established fact, well-established, well-documented over the many years, the eightfold years of, uh, of, of funny books that we have been recording, that I have not only the weakest stomach on the planet, but also the shyest bladder. And <laughs> so it makes, it makes the world of public restrooms a terrible, terrible place for me. I, I, I really cannot abide a public restroom, but sometimes one finds themselves having to use those facilities. So there I am in a public restroom this week, and I'm at the urinal. And, uh, you know, it's one of those those three three space urinals. There's a urinal here, a urinal there, and a, ur- and a third urinal, and then there's a stall. Stall was occupied when I come in, so I go to the furthest urinal away from the uh, stall, right? And then this other guy comes in. Now, there is an etiquette to this. If there is a guy at the fir- at the urinal and there are multiple urinals to choose from, you leave at least a space of one ur- urinal in between you. It's kind of like when you're strain when when dudes go to a movie theater, you leave that space between you if you can, right? There's just an unwritten rule. He settles in right next to me. I mean, we are shoulder to shoulder at the urinal. And so I lock it up. <laughs> I I can't go. I am I am midstream and the waterworks are off. I'm like, God damn it. You know, so I'm just I'm trying to focus. And as I'm trying to focus from the stall, there is this long, long mournful toot from the stall. And it's And I can't stop myself and go, Ricola. <laughs> <laughs> the guy next to me starts cracking up. <laughs> <laughs> so I was able to take a bad situation and make it amusing. But as it was, I had to wait for both of those guys to leave before. I was about to say, it didn't, it didn't alleviate the tension of the situation no, enough to help no, me pee. I, I was still all locked up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> but, you know, as horrible as that was for me, I did not choose that horror. This was not a horror that I chose. Paul, however, has chosen his own personal horror, visiting Halloween Horror Nights. In Florida, a Florida recently struck by Hurricane Irma. Yeah. So how's that working out for you? Well, you know, it's funny. You mentioned eight some years. Uh, You know, I have been coming to this event for eight some years now um, as part of Ideology of Madness and IOM Geek. Um, I think the first year we were invited to attend as media. Actually, maybe it's nine now. Yeah. Um, I think we were print before we were podcast, right? Yeah. And you, you did it as a, a, a print feature as opposed to a podcast feature. Yeah. So, yeah, we've been coming here for a while now. And um, so Hurricane Irma absolutely has had an effect on the event. There are uh, uh, numerous things that are not at full capacity or, um, you know, abbreviated as a result of Hurricane Irma and the damage that it's caused. Um you know, I, I I feel like we should have gotten you down there earlier so that we could have recorded, you know, uh, funny books last week from the, the hurricane zone. Okay. Oh, and you know, our, you know, uh, Paula Ponte on location and Hurricane Irma. 
<laughs> you know, and you could be one of the one of those idiot, you know, meteorologists standing out in the rain, you know, trying not to get blown away. You know, uh, yeah, yeah, I would like that. Yeah, you can I'm, talk to me about Batman from the storm. I'm, I'm sure that would have been a great idea. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, and so I walk into my hotel first day, and I'm looking around, and I'm like, huh, awful lot of dogs here. What, what, what's up with that? And it's mm. because uh, the hotel that I am staying at uh, is, is a pet-friendly hotel, uh, typically up to two pets in a in a per room, you know, in a room, uh, but they have uh, adjusted their policy to allow four pets. Oh, wow. um, for those displaced by the hurricane, and um, oh, that's awesome! Quite frankly, it's like a three-building hotel, and I believe one of the buildings pretty much was entirely made pet-friendly um, for those displaced by the hurricane. So, tons of dogs around here. Nobody, no cats though, because everyone left their cats in that hurricane. They're like, "Fuck those cats!" Yeah, yeah fuck the cat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I am enjoying well, Halloween Horror Nights quite a bit. Um, all the videos on the YouTube channel, uh, check them out. Uh, if you're a fan of American Horror Story or Saw or Sinister or Insidious or any of those films, they're all represented here. And I'm, I'm having an exhausting good time. So how are the, how are the haunted houses? Are they, are they, you know, are they just, are they, are they what you were expecting? Are they better, you know, on par from previous years? I would say this is a pretty good year, actually. Uh, you know, I, I'd say they... They have some house, houses um, that are absolutely breathtaking. Uh, they have a, a voodoo house called Dead Water. Um, and so Universal, uh, for anybody who doesn't know, uh, does a number of their haunted houses on sound stages. So if you've ever seen like TNA wrestling or things like that, um, they take those sound stages, use them for Halloween Horror Nights. And so one of the houses is, like I mentioned, called Dead Waters. And it is... Like a full size, it's a voodoo themed, like Louisiana Bayou voodoo themed. Um, you walk into it, and there is like a full size riverboat in this thing. Um, and you walk into the riverboat, and you know, they have like this swamp and the shack in the woods, and it's just like you don't even realize that you are inside of a building um, when you're in that house. And they also have The Shining this year. Um, that's based on the Stanley Kubrick movie and were the, very were, appropriate. Were they, okay. were they able to use the uh, likenesses from The Shining? Um, so, yeah, for the most part, they, they have actors who are wearing prosthetics to look like Jack Nicholson. Um, okay. The actresses kind of look like Shelley Duvall. Um, and the Overlook <laughs> Hotel, very, very um, movie accurate, um, you know, down to the wallpaper and the signs. And they found a way to to do the blood pouring out of the elevator and the twins and all that stuff. It is, uh, an incredible house. Um, you know, starts and starts and ends in the hedge maze. Uh, really, really fantastic stuff there. Wow. That sounds super cool. Yeah. I'm so I, I, last question for you concerning Halloween horror night. It's how much is a ticket to get in there? That sounds, that, that, that sounds like they've spent a gazillion dollars on, on, uh, making that stuff seem pretty awesome. It sounds like those tickets would be pretty expensive. They are. Uh, well, and I don't want to say exp- they're, they're generally, uh, they're not cheap. Right. Um, so it, it depends on what night you come. I believe ticket prices start at around 70 bucks. Uh, wow. Yeah. Um, <sighs> it's nine haunted houses, five scare zones, two shows, uh, I'm sorry. They start at sixty bucks, uh, but they go up to eighty four, depending on what day of the week you come. Um, you know, Saturday's obviously more expensive. They have a bunch of discount codes on Coca Cola cans, things like that. Um, 
where they get you, honestly, is more in the purchase of an express pass. Because I will tell you, with nine houses and two shows and five scare zones, unless you have an express pass or come on a very slow night, like a Sunday or a Wednesday or a Thursday, there is pretty much no opportunity to get it all done in one night. Um, so the, the, well, that, that would suck to spend time to do everything you wanted to do. Yeah, so the, 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 the express pass is absolutely worth it. Um, however, it is just as much, if not more, than a ticket. So you're basically doubling your price. Mm. Wow. Wow. Well, it sounds like you're having a big time. I am. I am. Uh, you know, I, I went to uh, a new water park as well. I almost died. But um, <laughs> I almost came. I, I, I thought I was going to fly out of a slide and die, but I didn't. Oh, so that, so it wasn't a baptism situation where someone is just holding your head underwater until the, all the, until the sin came out? No, no, no. I mean, it, I, uh-huh. I, I think. I, you Not know, again, he says. Yeah, no, <laughs> not this time. <laughs> this isn't Mancon. <laughs> yeah. This water isn't blessed. Yeah. Uh, this isn't the sacred water of Table Rock Lake. No, 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 it was not. So, so you were hurled from the craft. I was. So um, they have they have a a water slide called the Meku, and it's 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 two water slides next to each other. One's called Meku, and the other one's called Pui, like Meku Pui. Uh, it should be called Kill Paul. Yeah, it should ahead. be. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> so I, I rode the Meku. I'm like, oh, this is good. And you know, you sit in 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 a, in a tube with other people. And um, I, I thought I was going to come flying out of that tube in the ride itself. And then when, once we hit the water at the bottom of the slide, I did come launching out of the tube, back flipping out of it into the water. Um, you know, I had that weird water in your ear feeling for the rest of the day. It wasn't pleasant. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm you know, I'm I'm sorry you you almost were killed. I guess. Uh, <laughs> I, I guess. <laughs> it makes for an interesting story. It, it, it does. Since I did not die, it actually makes for an interesting story. And I wonder what kind. I wonder what kind of bump we would have gotten in the numbers, though, if you know, podcast host of Funny Books Theron and Polly murdered on uh, on, on a water ride. Uh, mm. Many downloads. Mm. 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 I mean, can we start with Wayne? Like, why does it have to be me? <laughs> who's who's going to edit the podcast if I die? I I think we can all co-sign that. It's a fair, it's a fair point. It's a fair point, and I'd be willing to, to to readily sacrifice Wayne for that. In fact, Wayne's not here. Who's to say I haven't already? <laughs> well, and and you know, here's the thing: if if Wayne is unavailable to to die, perhaps we should have a Kickstarter. In which oh. uh, folks can can sign up or or pay for the opportunity to die on a water slide um, for our website. That you know that that would be one way to break into media. Another way would be to uh, kick in on IDW's Kickstarter, which uh, w- uh, they're raising money for their uh, journal, I guess. Um, but one of their one of their their uh, their goals or one of their their rewards. Is that you could break and spend enough money, and uh, you can interview Kevin Eastman, and you know break into the lucrative field of comics journalism, and uh, you know as someone who has been a comics journalist, <laughs> it's not very lucrative. Um, I, I was I was highly amused by the fact that you know this is how they're going to help someone break into comics 
is by allowing them to interview someone for uh, their their in-house or their their uh, their uh, you know comics journal. Um, and they're going to interview Kevin Eastman and, and essentially have, you know, a list of pre-approved questions. There'll be no breaking news here. It's going to essentially be a moderated press release. But that's how you're going to break into comics. And you're going to spend much more money paying for that uh, reward than you would actually ever make as a comics journalist. Uh, you know, I, I used to work for Newsarama, a paying gig. But let me tell you. It's paid nothing. And, you know, you didn't do it for the money. You did it because it was kind of cool blogging for Newsarama. Um, and don't get me wrong. I had fun doing that. But <laughs> paying money to break into comics journalism just seems uh, really stupid headed to me when all you got to do to break into comics journalism is create your WordPress blog and just start blogging. Um, you know, the world of comics journalism is really, again, moderated press releases. No, There is no real news uh, in comics journalism because you know, the, the, the companies all uh, moderate that so heavily. They, 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 they curate it. Um, the stuff that comes out that's actually news is not supported at all by anybody in the comics industry. The stuff that, that, that truly breaks out into news is the stuff that, that happens on Twitter, which you can break into yourself. Uh, it's the stuff that happens on, on Tumblr and Facebook. Um, I, I, you, you really don't need uh, IDW's help to break into the great, great world of comics journalism. <laughs> but if you want to write for IOM, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> if you want to yeah. break into comics journalism, we... Well, you, you will make just as little money, and you won't have to pay for it, and you can write for IOM. That's right. Well, well I mean, if they if they wanted to pay, <laughs> I mean, well, and they'll, say no. they'll get the they'll get the employee discount at uh, at uh, the IOM store. So you oh, know, yeah, 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 yeah. You know. I mean, deep, deep employee discounts at the IOM store. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I I read that, and I was like, you know. We, you know, we we've we've done interviews with people before. Most most people in the comics industry are are fairly open with with talking about the the stuff they do because they're very passionate about it. Right. I don't know that you have to spend a bunch of money to talk to comic book people. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Uh, you know, it's the and I'm not trying to stratify our guests. Okay. But because we've had some great guests on on the podcast before. Yeah. But. You know, you're you're rarely going to get as someone starting up his own thing. You're rarely going to get somebody like a, a Brian Michael Bendis. Uh, we were fortunate enough to get Matt Fraction, but it was prior to Matt Fraction becoming an architect of the Marvel Universe, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but we've had great guys on our show. All it takes is starting up that relationship, either through Twitter, Facebook, etc., demonstrating that you're not, you know, a turd. <laughs> and, and and talking to those guys, we've had we've had some some we've developed not just some great interviews, but also some great relationships with comic book pro professionals over the year. And all it takes is your desire to do it. Sweat equity. Yeah, it's yeah, all it exactly. takes. Just and ask. Just, you know, yeah, yeah. Well, and you know, respond to them and and talk to them about the things that you appreciated about their book, not just ladling on praise, much as I did when we interviewed Marv Wolfman. <laughs> uh, but you know, talking about how how the work impacted you, demonstrating that you're 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 conversant and knowledgeable in the things that they've done. 
So anyway, I, you know, I just was highly amused by this IDW publishing Kickstarter. It seems rather wrongheaded. It does. Um, You know what else seems kind of rather wrongheaded to me? What's that, Paul? That CBS is not sending out screeners for Star Trek Discovery, and I'm sure it's because it's totally a great show. (laughs) That felt like sarcasm, Paul. Oh, no, not at all. I I mean, you know, CBS isn't letting any critics review Star Trek Discovery early. So, I mean, it's got to be so good that they don't want people to tell anybody before it starts. Right? Maybe it could be that they because uh, they're only airing the first hour on broadcast television and the second part of that story airs you know, is, is exclusively on CBS All Access in the continental United States. It may be that they don't want they want to limit the number of pirate copies that are out there. You know what I'm saying? Possibly. So that if you if you're going to watch it, you know, you're going to have a harder time. You're going to have to wait till actual Sunday when it comes out. Uh, I believe it's Sunday when it comes out uh, on CBS All Access, and for someone to rip it from there to then post out to the uh, to the world, yeah, as opposed to, to getting it now from screen. It. Yeah, exactly. Well, and I think that's frustrating to people. I mean, you know, uh, those people who who pirate video are probably going, "God damn it! Why can't I watch it now? I want to watch it now." <laughs> now. <laughs> Come on, Russia, hack the CBS servers. <laughs> Well, there's probably nothing on there since, you know, they're so behind in filming. <laughs> they have all of the Star Trek you need, Paul. All of it. All of it. It's all shot. It I'm is. Sure. Uh-huh. Well, uh, well I, I, perhaps I can get all the Star Trek I need from watching the Orville instead. So did you watch it this week, Paul? I watched the first episode, yes. And so what did you think? So I actually um, – so the Orville is the new Star Trek – uh, inspired TV show from um, Seth MacFarlane, the creator of Family Guy. Um, it is live action. He stars in it as well. And I will say um, the show heavily inspired by Star Trek The Next Generation more than anything else for me, at least in feel, production values, all that kind of thing. I um, I quite enjoyed the first episode. Uh, I, I thought it was, it was better than I expected because it wasn't all funny. Um, but I will say to its discredit, is that it tried too hard to inject humor, um, and the humor for me fell flat. I wish they had, you know, chosen either be serious with a couple of jokes or be jokey and not serious, but um, it was a bit uh, bipolar for me in that they would try to inject a humor that didn't necessarily feel within the context of the show. It felt too Seth MacFarlane-y. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you, you, they threw in little Family Guy type humor in a show that's not really Family Guy, and every right. time they did it, it uh, it, it kind of um, took the momentum away from me. How about you? I really enjoy Seth MacFarlane. Uh, I enjoy uh, both his his, uh, his writing and I enjoy his his acting. I, I just I, he's a super talented guy and very likable. Um, he's likable in this, you know, I, I, I enjoyed his performance on screen. I think the, the pilot was wildly uneven, much for the reasons that you stated the, the comedy and the drama seemed to be working at odds with each other. Um, there was, I, I really appreciate Seth MacFarlane's efforts to shoot a, a program like Star Trek, but something that's a little bit more, uh, humorous, not 
not a comedy, but a drama with with comedy in it, because that's something that Star Trek typically doesn't do well. You know, there are certainly standout episodes uh, that are comedy in Star Trek's, uh, you know, the the trouble with tribbles, you know, comes to mind uh, as, a, as a good comedy or either of the the Harry Mudd episodes. But those are few and far between. And it seems like the further we've gotten away from the original series, the more difficult it is to inject comedy into Star Trek. That said, you're absolutely right. The comedy that was present in the Orville seemed too out of place. Um, it didn't seem organic, though there were moments uh, that I thought were just hysterical uh, in the context of the show. You know, as things are, are heating up, you know, uh, on the planet and they realize that they've gone to a red alert sort of situation. Uh, the two guys, you know, the helmsman and the navigator are sitting there at the front of the ship going, well, we are not getting off by five today. There's no way we're getting out of here by five. <laughs> that cracked me up. That absolutely cracked me up. The first question the, the uh, navigator asks the captain uh, as he's coming aboard is like, yeah, the previous captain let me have soda on the bridge. Is, is that going to be a problem? <laughs> I did like well, that. That as, was funny. As long as you can keep it under the console and you don't spill, yeah, I'm fine. Okay, great, great. <laughs> you know, I mean th that 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 I enjoyed rather a lot. The scene that they kept showing on the trailer, which I think is the funniest scene in the show, and it just irritates me that you see it in the tra in the, the the teaser for the show, which is them doing the flyby of the Oracle in the little shuttle pod, mm -hmm. and he's like, "Is that a beer?" And he's like, well, yeah, I just need to take some, take the edge off my nerves, you know, you know, as the guys fly in the the shuttle pod. That, I hate that because I think in the show that 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 bit works really well. But having seen it already, I was already kind of tuned out because you know you've seen that so many times over the summer. Um, but I I will say I felt like the the pilot was wildly uneven. There are things I really liked about the show. I love that the actress who played uh, Tara in. Uh, uh, Friday Night Lights is on the show. I love that actress. Uh, and, you know, she plays his first officer slash ex-wife. Um, you know, I, there, there's a lot going on in that show, and I think there's a lot of possibility. And while, again, I thought it was uneven, I don't think it was a particularly good pilot. I will say it was better than Encounter at Farpoint, you know. Yeah. So, uh, so you know, already it's got a leg up on on uh, Star Trek. I There is a part of me that feels like it's too much in – the 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 realm of Star Trek though I think that I think it's gonna it needs to go out there and become its own thing and I'm curious to see if he will be able to do that I was also noticing in the credits lots of Star Trek people yeah. um, you know not just in front of the camera because you know Captain Cisco's wife is on the show as the medical officer right um, but you've also got, you know, a lot of the production staff from previous iterations of Star Trek involved with it. So anyway, I'm, I'm, I'm I will watch the second episode. I'll probably watch the entire season. Uh, there is enough to like. There, there is a lot more to like about it than season one of Next Generation. So already right there, you've got to win. Yeah, like I said, for me, it was heavily inspired by Next Generation more than any other yeah. Star Trek show. Yeah, yeah, no. But I'm super excited. I think next week is uh, Star Trek Discovery, and I can't wait. Hopefully. Let's see how it is. I can't wait. Well, you know what I couldn't wait for this week? Uh, to be uh, thrown nearly to your death from a, <laughs> a water ride? Well, there was that. But there was also Dark Knight's Metal number 2. 
Sorry. That that's our metal theme. That's our you know our 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 bumper for all the metal segments coming up. And you want to make that my ringtone for Aaron. And you can hold Aaron to it for the next six months until DC Metal's finished. Um So, you know, when I'm doing that, Tim, you can you can go out there with a with a big guitar riff as well. You know, the other, you know, we can just kind of mix those together. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I can I can totally see Tim doing that. (laughs) I was going to say of the three of us, I I might be the only one. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) So number two, Paul, what did you think? What did I think? Um, I liked it, I guess. Really? It you you seem so lukewarm on it. I, I, I wasn't nearly as jazzed about it as I was metal number one. I thought it was good. Art was good. Story was fine. Um, it seemed to take the buildup that occurs in this seems like buildup should, that should have occurred in the first issue. Um, I guess the pacing of it was, was a little bothersome. We, we know that the bad thing's going to come. Uh, <laughs> I, I was amused that the baby that everyone, uh, that the secret weapon that everyone's been looking for has been the baby in the backpack, uh, the dark side baby in the backpack. Uh, we're we're going to use the, we're going to use this dark side baby. <laughs> um, but, uh, I don't know. It was fine. It was fine. It didn't, it did not jazz me at like metal number one did. Which is crazy to me because this jazzed me more than metal number one. Um, I felt like metal number one, you know, took a little bit to get going. And this one, I just felt like had constant driving action between, um, the justice league hunting down Batman and him using his, you know, the bat family to, uh, to escape them and, and how they are outsmarted the league. And so, so many references to not just everything else that Scott Snyder's done, but everything Grant Morrison did on the Batman mm-hmm. title, which like I said, if you have not read the return of Bruce Wayne, you kind of have to to understand what the hell is going on here. You are not going to make me read Return of Bruce Wayne. It is. You can go to hell, Paul. I am not doing it. I mean, the whole Bat God is entirely, um, you know, the that Return of Bruce Wayne thing. I thought you had read that. No, I read like the first two issues. And, and uh, I, be- I believe if you go back to the episode where we talked about it, I said, fuck this. <laughs> it, and, it's uh, not an easy read now. Yeah, it was, it yeah, was. You know, you know how to turn me off on a on a series you're doing, DC. Make Grant Morrison writing pivotal. The, the <laughs> eat, eat it. I I'm not saying I I, I it just didn't. I, I was expecting to come out of this like rock and roll, right? I mean, I expect that I expected to finish reading Metal Number Two. And go, God, I can't wait for the next issue. And I just I felt like this was a bridge to issue three, and it is. I just didn't feel like it was time very well spent. Yeah, and I, I did come like out of it psyched for me. For me, I did come out of it hyped, you know, because you had that dark side baby show up, throwing up the <laughs> devil horns. I don't know if you caught that. The little dark side baby's doing the devil horns. And, uh-huh. and then you've got the 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 other Batman, uh, the evil Batman of the dark multiverse. And in the two-page spread with Barbados behind them. Oh, uh-huh. yes. Uh, I, in fact, I liked this issue so much, I picked up Teen Titans this week. Really? Um, Who does that? Who does that, Paul? Well, you know, it, it is a Dark Knight's metal tie-in featuring um, the the Batman who laughs, basically the Batman mixed with the Joker, and his demonic uh, Robins. 
and um, it is based. It's a team up between um, Damian Wayne, Nightwing, Batgirl, Harley Quinn, Killer Croc, and Green Arrow. What? As, as basically they are navigating, uh, you know, based because of the um, things that have been happening in DC Metal, there are levels to Gotham City, basically like, I guess, the nine levels of hell or whatever. And so Damian Wayne has to team up with these other folks. And this is, because this is a Teen Titans issue, it's primarily Damian Wayne, not Teen Titans. They only show up for a couple of pages. Um, Navigating through uh, what the rogues gallery has been empowered to do with Gotham. And this issue was basically them versus the Riddler. And I loved it. Loved this issue. Um, Damian Wayne being Damian Wayne I liked seeing Green Arrow because I don't get enough Green Arrow Um, you know Harley Quinn it's just a fun fun book and uh, you know those evil Robins and that evil Batman good stuff good stuff Uh I I, I enjoyed the hell out of it well I'm glad you did I'm glad you did somebody should (laughs) (laughs) Well, and just as big as – even bigger than DC Metal, which is the, the big DC event, came the first part of the Oz Effect in Action Comics number 987, written by Dan Jurgens. Um, and this issue features the unveiling of the secret identity of Mr. Oz. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It, it did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, it also revealed, uh, you know, the uh, uh, Metallo being all, you know, cut up into pieces because that's how you safely keep Metallo apparently in custody. Right. You cut him up into pieces and but crucify leave, him. <laughs> leave him. Leave all of the pieces in the same room. And connected. There, did you notice that there's still wires running to all of it, right? I mean, that, that seems a little silly. A little silly. Uh, asinine asinine yeah. is the word I would use so you know we've been talking about who Oz might be and it looked for, for a good long time and it certainly seemed like a uh, you know the, the red herring that was sent out there that Oz was Ozymandias from the Watchmen books and Tim I think this might be a spoiler <laughs> it's a spoiler thank you um it is not Ozymandias from the uh, Watchmen books. It is, in fact, what Paul has been suggesting all along, Jor-El, Superman's father, birth father. I have a problem with it being Jor-El from, from a scene that happens in this book where Jor-El says to uh, Metallo that you'll no longer hurt him with a piece of his own world. Shouldn't it have been a piece of our world? Is he not from Krypton? Hmm. Uh, Go ahead, Tim. I I really wanted this to be Ozymandias. And had I not been led that way for a year now... Uh-huh. It it's sort of like when Mr. Mixoplex was the was the the you know the source of who the who the Clark Kent was right. And I was like, God damn this comic, and I I quit it for like maybe a month. Mm-hmm. Um, I this was a little better because this is very interesting, but it wasn't what I wanted. Yeah, 
So, it may, I mean, I, it makes it, sense. It makes sense on why everything's so focused around Superman. I'm not real wild about Jor-El being a bad guy, though. You know, and I understand that's a different take. I, you know, I just it's not really what I wanted. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> you, know? And, you know, why do you why you kidnap Tim Drake? Why would you yeah. care? Like, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm not the big fan of Jor-El being um, villainous, even even though mm-hmm. he's you know he's just misguided, I guess. Um, but I'm I'm not the biggest fan of that turn. Uh, I think it's an interesting turn. I I think it is certainly um, earth shattering for Superman. Sure. Um, I, for me, uh, I, I'm still not convinced. Part mm-hmm. of me feels like maybe this is a bit of a red herring. Yeah. But, uh, well, and that's why I ask because that's why I mentioned that scene because it's, it's either the writer just not wanting to tip his hand, right? Uh, that early in the, in the, in the book and, and use the, use the term our world, right? Or it's a tell that, He's not really from Krypton either, you know. I, I and I don't know which one of those to lean into. But you know, the quote is, "You will never use remnants of his world against him again." Yeah, that is a good catch. I did not catch that. My catch in that same scene was, "Why isn't it hurting Jarrell?" Right. If it is Jarrell, shouldn't it also affect him? You would think. Anyway, I, I you know maybe it's not Jor-El. Um, maybe it's maybe it's something else. Maybe it's someone playing it being Jor-El or some someone who thinks he's Jor-El but not. But uh, you know Jor-El's not aging well. I mean he he's he's got a, he's got a you know a nasty looking face. As God is my witness, if he turns into Mister Mixelplex, I'm I'm never <laughs> buying a Superman book. <laughs> never. <laughs> I will say I enjoyed the issue. I think if the turn is true, that it is certainly interesting. It's not – again, mm-hmm. it's not my favorite choice, but I think if anyone can do good things with it, it's Dan Jurgens and Jeff Johns who set this whole sure. thing up. Yeah. So we'll see where it's going. I, to Tim's point, I'm very curious as to why did he kidnap Tim Drake then? What does Tim Drake have to do with him? It have to do with Superman. Everyone else that we've seen kidnapped basically has to do with Superman. But yeah. why Tim Drake? Yeah. Um, there is a an, a uh, spotlight on the music of DC Comics at the back of all the DC books this week, uh, featuring you know they're they're pimping out the music of DC Comics Volume Two, which recently came out over the summer. Um, I, it stream most of it streams free free on Prime. So those of you who are Prime uh, subscribers, you can listen to it for free. Um, I cannot recommend strongly enough that you spend no money on this album. This <laughs> album is terrible. It's got a lot of uh, 60s era DC Comics music, and it sounds like some guy singing in his garage about Metamorpho. No lie, Metamorpho. Um, <laughs> which I was interested in. I've never heard a Metamorpho song before, but it's, it's like this strange... 60s hippie folk rock thing uh, singing about different characters and it was just just so terrible just so terrible so I, I was thankful for for the, the for access to it through prime because wow I, let me tell you how I would have have been enraged had I actually spent money on it terrible terrible album so what you're saying Whereas, is you should pick it up 
<laughs> the album previous to it, Volume One, is fantastic. I listen to it all the time. But Volume Two, it's like they said, uh, we don't have any other songs to play. Oh, well, what about this guy who recorded some shit in his garage back in the '60s? Yeah, it's terrible, Paul. Just saying. All right. Well, I'll grab it then. I appreciate the okay. recommendation. That sounds about Get right. on it. Yeah. Yeah. Get I'll, on I'll do it. that. Yeah, it's it's good music to listen to while you're being thrown from a water ride. Oh, or, <laughs> thrown to your death from a water ride. It's good music to listen to when you're gonna die. Yeah. So, Paul, in the video, when we slow we slow it down, we're not gonna play. My heart will go on as you get sliding out the tube. Aside. <laughs> it's it's gonna be one of these crappy DC songs. <laughs> Metamorpho. <laughs> so. Also from DC Comics this week was the newest issue of Detective Comics, uh, number 964, uh, continuing the whole anarchy spoiler type storyline. Tim, you picked that one up. Yeah. And what did you think? Uh, I was disappointed. Um, it, it, it's It's been that kind of week, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I I wanted to see more, more spo- spoiler leaning the, the you know the 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 dark route and that's not what we got this issue this issue we got batman showing up and going yeah he's still bad and energy going yeah you got me you know it's like i don't know i i guess to me if you're gonna if you're gonna set something up like like stephanie turning bad or at least stephanie leaning farther away from the bad family I needed to do be more than like one or two issues. I needed to actually go somewhere. It didn't really go anywhere. She basically stormed off again, and I I I'm left wondering why would why would why would Batman care at this point? It's like okay, you made your choice. I'm I'm done chasing you. We know why because he wants to tell her that Tim Drake is alive, but he's not. He doesn't have anything other than like the word of somebody. He doesn't have any proof. And I feel like he's a good enough detective to go, okay, I'm not going to get somebody else's hopes up until I know for sure. The word of a villain, too. Right. Right. It's just so dumb. So I, I, I like seeing Clayface lose his crap, and I like I, I like seeing the, the orphan-Clayface relationship. But this is also stuff we've already cred through and recently. You know, so I feel like Detective's kind of lost its way, and I feel like it's it's lost its way since since Batwoman basically is taking a ridiculously back backseat. Uh, I don't know that I agree with that because the last storyline featuring Anarchy I thought was fantastic. Okay. So I mean, I enjoyed that, but I will say this storyline has not been my favorite, and it's probably because spoiler sucks. Sucks, mm. Wayne. Sucks. She's not. She's not good. Uh, I will say that. <laughs> least least favorite member of that team. Oh, I don't know. Azrael's pretty bad too. But uh, not in that last storyline. Totally recommend no, that one. The Azrael storyline was okay. Yeah, but uh, yeah, th- this one just. It, oh, yeah. I don't. Know. It's a. Uh, to your point, yeah, it felt like it went nowhere, uh, and it, it's still not over. So maybe they'll go somewhere with it. But she's not. I don't know. It, it's it's. I've never been the biggest spoiler fan, so. You know, it, it feels like they are having difficulties giving her a purpose. Her purpose is to storm off angry. Yeah. Like she just, at it, this point, she feels yeah. like a petulant child. Yeah. It, I, she reminds me of Hair Trigger. What? No, Hair Trigger's awesome. <laughs> 
you know, storming off angry from you know her rich benefactors. It's it's fairly close. Oh my god! Now that you've made that comparison, I can't unsee it. You're welcome. Uh Aaron, I think we need to kill Hair Trigger. I, I'm, I'm, I'm on it. No, I'm no. Thinking, I'm thinking that I'm going to put her in a water ride and throw her. <laughs> <in it. laughs> uh. <laughs> With really bad music being played. <laughs> <laughs> Laszlo and the Geek playing like the be- the best of the of Woodstock or something. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, worst of one second. Well, it'll be a, a '60s band, you know, re, uh, singing songs about the World Defense Force. You know, yeah. Peter, yeah. Paul, and Mary, WD. <laughs> <laughs> oh God, yeah. I like right. it. I like it. So, one last book we wanted to talk about this week was Mister Miracle from Tom King and Mitch Jarrods. We enjoyed the first issue, um, and, and we're curious to see where the story went. If you remember. Uh, we, we discussed that, spoilers, at the end of the first issue, um, Orion came and told Big Barda and uh, Scott Free that uh, Highfather had been killed uh, by Darkseid and they needed, um, you know, the, the new gods needed uh, Mr. Miracle and Big Barda to, to come help them fight the war against Darkseid's forces. And so we have, we have delved into the war in this issue. And so, Aaron, what did you think? I really liked issue number one. Uh, I thought issue number one was a well-told story. There, there, there was a lot of me wondering what in the world was going on. Some of it seemed rather surreal. Um, issue two was freaking awesome. Uh, I, I absolutely love this book, and I love this book on so many different levels. First off, uh, as someone who reads the book digitally, it was a perfect digital read. Um, each, each page is told in a nine panel format. Um, and so you're not doing a bunch of turning your, your iPad various ways to make it work landscape versus portrait. You can just leave it portrait and it just fills the entire, entire, uh, screen of your iPad. It's, it was just great and lovingly produced. The artwork's just amazing and, and gritty and, you know, gives you that, that, that feeling of war. Um, there are some surprising things that happen to it. You know, anybody who's read uh, any of the New Gods books knows that there are typically these, you know, ongoing elements, uh, you know, that, that just kind of repeat in a cycle, like a, like a, like, like, you know, uh, uh, you know, a Norse myth, you know, the way those cycles repeat. Um, but you know, there are so many new elements here. You know, Barda having body issues. You know, she's got body image issues. Uh, you know, she complains, you know, throughout the book that she's too tall. Um, and I just – on uh, the first time I heard it, I'm like, well, she's ridiculous. And then the rest of the time, I'm like, well, it's really rather endearing to hear someone like Barda have that little bit of, uh, of self-consciousness about her, right? Um, I love this book, Paul. There were everything – I, I loved everything about this book. Um, I love that, that Scott Free – is so traumatized by all of this war. I mean, it's not typically something you see in superhero books where the hero is racking up that psychological damage as they're out there fighting. Uh, but, you know, certainly he is. Certainly he, you know, he, he being a child of New Genesis, though raised on Apocalypse, he is just not, not built for this level of destruction and, and terror. And he, the, just the the 
the weight of it that he's enduring uh, is is you know palpable on 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 the page. I I dug this book. Thought yeah. it was great. I thought it was fantastic. Um, you know, I enjoyed the first issue. I loved this issue. This yeah. is what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, and the final scene with um, with Granny Goodness. Yes. Was intense and just fantastically told. Um, just a gut punch of an ending. Uh, I, I loved everything about this book. I loved the interaction with Orion. Yeah. Uh, and how he has taken High Father's place. Uh, the relationship issues between Scott Free and um, Barda. I, there, there is not a bad thing in this issue. I, I loved everything about it. Well, there are a lot of bad things in the book, Paul. Yeah. A lot of horrible <laughs> things happen, but I but enjoyed the, the horrible and, things. Yeah, yeah. No, and it is. I mean, it, it is very much a horror story, right? Yeah. Uh, you know, bad, bad things are happening. Things are wildly out of control and unpredictable. And, you know, here you've got Scott Free who, yeah – he has amazing abilities, but he's sort of your your he's sort of portrayed as your everyman in the book, right? I mean, he's the one who's vulnerable. He's the one who's seeing and experiencing these things, and you know things are just so out of control around him. He's a good man trying to do the right thing in a in a terrible situation. I it is so freaking good. Is this a limited series, Paul, or is it an ongoing? It is a twelve issue series. Ah, so good. Which is, you know, based on these stakes that have been set up in this issue, um, clearly out of continuity, but um, which which is good because it means we will see things happen that we wouldn't normally see. Um, we're just told in the DC universe proper. Yeah. So, and speaking of Mister Miracle, um, if you are enjoying this, uh, next week DC is collecting the complete run of Jack Kirby's Mister Miracle in one standalone volume. It features oh, Mr. Miracle, uh, one through eighteen. That's a big damn book. Yeah, it's only thirty bucks for eighteen issues. That's not. I mean, yeah. don't get me wrong; it's not cheap. But at the same time, it's for third for eighteen issues. It's really not that bad. You know what I'd really love to see is a Jack Kirby book that he drew but didn't write, and then take out the word balloons and have a modern writer write to those pages. Yeah, that would be. I would love. I would love to see that. I'd love to see a modern writer uh, working over uh, some, you know, old Kirby drawings again that Kirby didn't write that he, you know, drew for another writer. Yeah. Hmm. So I'd love to see that. I would be interested in that. Yeah. Yeah. So, Paul. Yes, sir. What's coming out next week? Well, also next week, we have um, an interesting crossover from DC Comics, Wonder Woman and Conan, number one, uh, written by Gail Simone, uh, co-published with Dark Horse Comics. Seems kind of interesting. Art by Aaron mm -hmm. Lepresti. You also have uh, the Dark Knight's Metal tie-in, Batman the Red Death, featuring the Batman slash um, Flash Demonic Presence from the Dark Multiverse, written by Joshua Williamson, art by Carmine Di Giandomeniso. I don't even know why I bothered saying that. Uh, <laughs> uh, new issues of Superman, Super Sons, uh, Batman. Uh, the Gotham Resistance storyline that began in Teen Titans this week continues in the pages of Nightwing number 29. Um, so tons of good stuff from DC Comics and more coming next week. Well, that is super exciting. Yes. That is super exciting. Well, Paul, you know, if you survive your weekend in Florida. I'll do my best. Uh, Tim and I will see you here next week. 
Sounds good. All right. Have a good one, guys. Thanks. Bye, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.